It's been said by many people in many ways that a company is only as good as its people. In this episode, we talk to two of Fugro's most extraordinary employees. They're not only brilliant engineers and, and business leaders, but world-leading sportswomen. This means that they must balance their professional responsibilities with training and get that right so that they can truly fulfill their potential. And I'm sure we will all learn a thing or two from these very accomplished and dedicated people. Business Development Manager and International Triathlete, Belen Valdovinos, is based in Figaro's Houston office and skiing champion Rada Hajinova is the general manager of Fugro Alaska. Belen, I'm going to start with you. You've got a big year in front of you, don't you? Yeah. Um, I, I recently qualified for two world championships for the Ironman distance and triathlon. And one of them is in uh, Utah, May 7th. And the other one is in Kona, Hawaii in October. Brilliant. Well done. And Rada, you're also used to competing at world championship level, aren't you? Indeed, John. I was a member of the National Alpine Ski Team. At the time, it was the USSR National Ski Team, competing internationally and training for the 1992 Olympics. I still love the sport and continue racing in the Masters League internationally. And in 2020, I won the International Ski Federation Masters Cup in Chile qualifying for the FIS World Criteria Masters race in Austria. Downhill skiing has been a lifelong love. Despite the injuries and frozen fingers, I love it. I can't get enough of it. How did you find this passion? Downhill skiing is actually my second passion. My mom put me into gymnastics when I was just five years old and I progressed well into quite complicated acrobatics and somersault, but I was terrified of the beam, my most dreaded apparatus, so I whined my way out of gymnastics. So my mom put me into alpine skiing instead uh, when I was about six. What I didn't know at the time was that alpine skiing is equally scary sport, uh, which includes going down uh, icy slopes at 60 to 90 miles an hour, but uh, whining about it to my mother the second time would not have made any difference. So skiing it was. I actually have a question for Rada. When we say downhill skiing, what would the other, the other way of skiing be? So, I mean, the formal name is alpine skiing, but in alpine skiing, there's many different events. There is slalom, which is a tons of gates and um, short turns. And you can see that the person is going and there's like gates flying and it's a crazy, crazy, technically difficult type of competition. Then there is a giant slalom with, where the gates are a little bit further apart. Then there's super G when it's further apart and the speed goes up. And then there's downhill when where there's you know, just maybe a dozen gates in, you know, a few kilometers of, of a race and you go 95 miles an hour on an icy slope. So that's what it is. 
And when I was six, I didn't know that at the time. <laughs> and Belen, what about you? Were you a sporty child? In my case, I wasn't always an athlete. I actually wasn't very good at any uh, sports uh, that included a ball, specifically. I tried. Um, but about the age I was a junior in high school, about 17, 18, I started running just to burn off some nervous energy, is what they called it at school. I was getting in trouble uh, for talking too much. Imagine that. And so I started running and I stuck with it. And triathlon actually didn't come into my life until about almost 10 years ago, I want to say, um, when uh, I was riding my bike and they told me, you like to run, you know, you, you have a, a road bike and you like to ride, all you have to do is swim. And so that's how, that's how I started into the sport of triathlon. Wow. Tell us about the feeling of competition and the kind of challenges that you face? I think challenges are, are there every day. In order to be competitive, you've got to be very disciplined and you've got to do the training even when you don't want to do the training. And I, lo I know a lot of people think that, you know, we wake up every day thinking, oh, yay, I'm going to wake up at four, I'm going to go get in the cold pool and I'm going to swim 4,000 meters. And it really isn't like that. There's a lot of days... A lot of weeks sometimes that you just, you know, you're tired, you got to go to work, you just want to stay in bed, whether because it's cold or it's too hot, and you just make yourself go. That's just the the training part of it. I I know we've talked with Rada about the, the fact that her training is different because you don't have snow where you live year round. So, you know, I was always interested in knowing how she trains uh, year round, and, and that's got to be challenging. So, Belen, you took the words right out of my mouth. I completely agree with you on training. And the competition is the proverbial icing on the cake, isn't it? Uh, it's exciting. It's exhilarating. It's those butterflies in your stomach. And the results are immediate and obvious. Uh, but competition is only the icing. Uh, what spectators don't see um, is all the work, all the blood, sweat, and tears that went into getting to that perfection, uh, to that excellence. So preparation and perspiration is 90% of success in my book. And, and that's just the challenges for, for the training. Then um, you have the challenges for for race day, you can be in the best shape of your life, but in my case, you have a flat tire and that could cost you the race or it just wasn't your day, which a lot of people hear, but it, it actually does happen that you're, you know, you think you're going to go smash it and then things just don't work out the way you thought they would. And that, that brings you down. Heck, that, that makes everything just, it just turns a different color because you're like, am I really good enough for this? Am I going to make it? Should I keep doing it or should I just, you know, maybe I should change distances. Maybe I should just stick to running or whatever the case may be. That that happens a lot, too. Well, and I love that you said that, uh, these unexpected things that come up and bite you. And I think that's the lesson that is really helped me, you know, post-sport or in my just normal or work life is being prepared for anything. Preparation is key. You have to have the spares. You know, for the skiers as well, you know, a strap comes off or your binding doesn't work and you're out. 
So you have to be prepared for anything. You have to be able to think fast on your feet and use what you have in your hands immediately to fix the problem that you have and go on. You have to get through it and persevere and just pull it through <laughs> no matter what. I imagine that that is something that comes with experience too. So now perhaps you can take us back in time to that point in your lives where you didn't have that yet. What was the journey like for you both? I began skiing as a little girl and in a couple of years we started going on ski competitions. First in a neighboring town or a region and next to a different state and different country. And it was really about the adventure of getting away from your hometown, from your parents, seeing new places with your friends and teammates. Um, you don't really know how good you are until you are compared with others. So I was enjoying the whole process of being in the sport, being in the team. I discovered I was uh, actually quite good and uh, kept going and eventually was uh, selected to join the national ski team. So it's not all and only about competition. If you want your kids to love a sport, make sure they have a supportive coach and uh, some good teammates to enjoy it with. Bellin, running isn't so much a team sport, is it? What was your journey like? I understand that, that you started running as a hobby until you realised that you're actually pretty good at it. I ran through school and then I ran when I started to work at Fugro and um, my dream was always just to run a marathon. I just wanted to complete a marathon. And I guess I started triathlon in 2013, uh, shorter distances, you know, I started with sprint distance, which is about an hour race. And then I did Olympic distance, which for me was about a two and a half hour race. And then I did a half Ironman and then I graduated to uh, Ironman. Just explain to us non-iron men and women what that actually means in terms of activities that you undertake to complete that. So an Ironman is a triathlon, which means you do three sports, one followed by the other one. So you first swim a distance of, sorry, I know it in miles, but I can say it in miles and in, it's 2.4 miles swim, which is about 4K. And then you ride 180K or 112 miles, and then you run uh, a full marathon, which is 42K or uh, 26 miles. That's an incredible amount of distance to cover in a single event. It is, it is. And actually, as with any sport, I was good at sprint distance, but then from my running years, just running, I guess, I, I had done ultra uh, marathons, which is any distance over 42K. And I realized that the longer the distance, the more I liked it. And I think it was because my body just didn't break down as much as other people uh, broke down. So I would actually place better if it was if it was longer. So I've actually told a few friends that if Ironman could have an extra 5K at the end, I would be great because, you know, some people are fighting to finish that 42K and I typically can hold on. And so I'm coming from behind. And at this point, you were coached by your husband, weren't you? But he sort of, well, fired himself, didn't he? 
he said he wanted to get a coach that would get me to the, the world championship. And that just scared the hell out of me. But we did. We, we got, you know, my coach, and I've been with her for, I think I'm on my fifth year now. And like Rada said, that, that just makes, it just makes a world of difference because if you have a good coach, uh, they're like, like a parent. In this case, you know, she's like my, my other best friend and I trust what she says. And if she says I can do it, then I can do it. It changed right there from the time I started training with her. Rada, who has made the, the most difference in your sporting career? In addition to my parents, the most important person who I attribute my athletic success and actually my personal success is my coach, Anatoly Yatsky. My coach was as close to me as my father. In fact, he was my father away from home. His nurture, his encouragement, uh, being tough and demanding, yet uh, being supportive and kind uh, made me love him and made me love the sport. Uh, he could have taught me really anything and I would have loved it. And the difference one caring, involved individual can make in a kid's life is incredible. So we pass it on. I'm sad to say, but my coach passed away unexpectedly a few months ago. Our whole team weeps, but we carry him, we carry him and his love in our hearts forever. I'm sorry to hear that, Rola. He was clearly a, a great inspiration and, and led you to some amazing achievements. Let's talk about some of those because you are both world leaders in your fields. Could you tell us what is next for you? Sure. Ironman distance, you know, I, I keep racing the other distances, but my, my main goal three years ago became to qualify for, for Kona for the world championship. And so everything that I, that I, that I've done for the last three years was towards that. So my, my, at Ironman distance, I've podium three times. Um, I got fifth place a couple of years ago. And then this year I got, uh, two third places and that's what qualified me for the both for both of the, um, the uh, world championships to be next year. And I guess the, the, the biggest right now, the, the highlight of, of my Ironman athlete career would be uh, participating in, in both world championships next year. Of about 80,000 people that complete an Ironman race every year, only 2,000 athletes uh, qualify for the world championship. I'm working it out now. Yeah, you're in the top 2.5%, which sounds like a very good place to be. Can we watch you compete? So there's a there's an Ironman tracker that you can download on your phone. It's an app, but the World Championship is actually uh, I don't think can't remember if it's televised, but it's definitely on on some type of TV where there is you know the new ones Hulu, Netflix, whatever one of those. They do uh, follow it. So yeah, there's, there's ways of tracking it. So one of them is May 7th in Utah, here in St. George. And the other one is October 6th and 8th. I believe I'm racing the 8th. They haven't given me the date yet. Um, that's in Kona in Hawaii. Great. And Rada, what is your priority? 
I would say staying in good shape, uh, good enough shape for racing the gates is uh, goal number one. The days of going 90 miles an hour down icy slopes are behind me. I want to preserve my original equipment, my bones and my joints and uh, race into my golden years. Now that is clearly very important. Is there an age limit in downhill skiing? In our Masters uh, League, there is really no upward age bracket. So I see people in their 80s and older uh, racing and enjoying the sport. It's incredible. It's inspiring. I want to do that for as long as I can. So what about training? You both have very professional jobs to do. How do you maintain the level of dedication needed? Very good question. You maintain your general fitness every day. You stick with it every day, even if it's uh, 15 minutes, half an hour, or a couple hours. You just keep in good shape. Before an important race, I would do a ski camp, a couple of weeks uh, at the race location because Every mountain is different, uh, different snow, slope, uh, steepness, elevation. You need to train and get used to that a little bit and um, uh, acclimate, that's important. Uh, so in my case, I guess, I guess it's about, it would be about the same. I, I agree with Rada there. You, you Really, you train year round. You can't just stop training because you would completely fall out of shape and then getting back into shape is a lot harder. So on average, uh, I would train about 15 hours a week and that starts to ramp up and it goes up to probably a little over 20 hours a week with eight weeks to go for a big race like that. And uh, I would train two to three hours a day on the weekend. Sometimes the weekend training is a six to eight hour day, depending on, on the bike ride. That's what takes up most of the time. And so during the week, I would have to, depending on what I have to do, I'd have to wake up sometimes at 3 a.m. in the morning to get a couple of the workouts out before work. And then sometimes after work, you'd have to go back to the gym and get that third workout done. So, yeah, yesterday, you know, with traveling and everything, I was in bed by 730. But that's very typical here in my my household. We try to be in bed by 830. <laughs> so that we can manage to actually rest. And you just hang out with a lot of the people that are doing the same thing and have the same type of life because having a social life when you go to bed at 8, 8, 8 p.m. Is, is very hard. So most of my friends uh, do the same thing. Let me just take a different tack here on the, on the same theme of the balance between work and sports. If you were to put this stuff on your CV... How would you like a prospective employer to read your dedication, your, your discipline, your successes in terms of how that would manifest itself in the workplace? I put on my resume that I was a former USSR national skier. Um, and I think that says it all. You know, to get to this level, you had to do a heck of a lot to get there. So an employer would understand uh, what that actually means in terms of discipline, dedication, staying with it, overcoming challenges of, you know, injuries or whatever it is, and getting getting up there. So I don't think you have to say much, um, you know, just say that. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think it shows hard work, it shows discipline, and 
And I don't think it's just on one. When you're, when you're disciplined, you're not just disciplined with one thing in your life. You're typically disciplined with everything. So I think putting that on your resume is, it, it's great because then your, your employer can see that you're a hardworking employee. And the, the harder you work, the luckier you get. And I, I always keep that in mind when people say, oh, you're lucky, you're lucky. No, not really. I just work hard. So you don't think there's any danger of an employer worrying that your sporting endeavours might cause you to neglect your day job? How do you maintain the right balance? Indeed, keeping things in balance is the most important and difficult task. Uh, you're right. We can't be perfect at everything, so you learn to optimize. You you learn what is important in your life, what is meaningful to you, and you put uh, most of your energy there. You get that right. And if you're okay with uh, who you are and what you are to yourself and others, uh, the rest of it really doesn't need to be perfect. It can be just good enough. Yes, feeling good enough is something that people have struggled with in these difficult times, dominated by a global pandemic. I wonder, I wonder if the strong physical health that you have helps with mental health. Of course, uh, what happened during COVID is that our routines got messed up. And uh, when your routine gets disrupted, you can't help but feel uh, out of control and you get anxious and so on. So having hobbies, interests and friends outside work is important. Uh, when your work gets disrupted, your other hobbies and habits and friends can hopefully keep your world together and anchor you down. The brain releases that substance that makes you happy and it makes you feel good. And I don't remember. And there we go. I'm like, help me out here. And I mean, that, that's a proven fact that, that it releases those endorphins when you're doing sports. So it just, you know, it, it's simple. You don't have to compete. I tell everybody, you don't have to train 20 hours a week. You don't have to run a marathon. But if you're feeling down or you're not, you know, you're, you're feeling depressed, go out for a walk. And just being outside and, and making, you know, moving your body when you finish that walk, whether it's 30 minutes or an hour, you feel better. It's and it's proven. So I, I think it definitely I, I don't know about you, Rada, but I didn't I didn't feel the the pandemic to to be so depressing like I heard a lot of other people did. And I think it's because of the lifestyle that I choose to live and, you know, waking up every day, even during the pandemic, I train every day because it was OK, train because the races are going to happen. Races are going to happen. We just don't know when they're going to happen, but we have to be ready for whenever they do happen. And that really, I mean, it's been two years. Who would have said, right? Where do you think this drive came from? Who has inspired you both along your journey? There are countless role models and world famous people we can point to, but I, I always go to my parents. My parents gave me love. They gave me tough love, gave me confidence unconditional support. Um, I'm inspired by my 85-year-old mother every day. <laughs> the energy and resilience she has is incredible. Uh, my parents' generation went through World War II. Surviving that as children is 
uh, an incredible testament to perseverance and survival and resilience. They say everything is relative. So when I feel kind of down or if I have issues or problems, I just need to remember that uh, none of my problems come even close to what my parents' generation had to overcome. So I just need to remember that and life is good. Yeah, it, it, you know, in my case, and I'm going to apologize if I get a little emotional here, but I, I would say that it's my parents as well. Um, my mom lost her mom when she was only 10 to cancer, and I didn't understand what that was like, you know, at that age. And um, I lost my mom to a car accident three years ago, and I can't imagine how she became who she became without a mom. She was so strong, and she always told me and my sister that we could literally do whatever we set our, our minds to do. We would just have to work hard. And, you know, just like Rada said, you're, there's a lot of, you know, people in the sport that you look up to. But I think if you have good parents, great parents, like apparently we both did, that just tell you to just work hard, grab it on and, and keep going, then, then you can do things that you never even thought you could possibly do. Thank you for sharing that. Crumbs, you, you have me crying now. I mean, it's amazing that you've both chosen your parents. And, and I get the feeling that with, with the right support, we can all be champions in something. So how would, yes, how would you inspire others to pick up a rewarding habit or sport like you did? I would say start small. Don't set your sights too high. And whatever it is you want to start doing, make sure it brings you joy. It puts a smile on your face. Uh, and if possible, uh, do it in good company. It's much uh, more likely you would stick with it uh, if you share it with others, uh, if others are encouraging you to keep going. And it's definitely much more fun. Find good company. I love that. I love that. I guess my advice would just be to show up. Just don't, don't make a big plan and say, I'm going to sign up for this race six months from now. Just show up tomorrow. Find a group to run with, find a group to swim with, to ski with, and, and just show up one day. And definitely have fun because it's, it's a lot of fun when you, when you do it as a group. Even if they're individual sports, it just helps. You know, we have a, a coffee crew is what we call it. So every morning, that's the reason to wake up and go get the training done because at 6 a.m. we're going to have coffee. I remember in my younger days when I used to close a deal, I always used to reward myself by buying myself a, a tie. Now, I never got a gold medal, but I got myself a flashy tie. And it was a, it was a way of recognising my achievement to myself. How important are these medals? How important is this sort of point of recognition? It feels very nice to be recognised in front of your peers. Uh, to get up on that podium and feel that you were, in fact, the best. But winning is not as frequent uh, of an occurrence. <laughs> to get to the top means to think that every loss, it's not really a loss, but just another step towards victory. And that's just a mental attitude. And it's also important to be a gracious winner. You cannot be number one forever. 
And the medals, uh, the medals are sort of a memento. It's a tangible reminder of how it feels when you're doing your best. I think the the best feeling in the world is when you overcome those personal challenges that you either knew you had or sometimes you just don't know if you're if you're going to be good enough. Last year I had not last year, sorry, year before that. I had this race right after the pandemic and I was ready. I was going to crush it. I went there with my friend and we were going to get one and two and we were both going to the world championships and I had a terrible race. I mean just terrible. And at the end of it, I, you know, my my coach called me and and I said, "I I don't know that I'm good enough." Maybe I've reached my potential and I'm not going to make it. And obviously a week or two later, you're like, "No, I'm going to work harder than ever and I'm going to I'm going to keep trying." And I'm very glad I did. When you overcome the the personal challenges and you prove to yourself that that you were good enough for whatever it is, um then I think that that feeling is a lot better than any medal you could ever get. Or a tie. <laughs> no seriously though. Your insights have been so enlightening. There is something quite compelling about the mental and physical health benefits, the feel-good factor that you get from these amazing experiences, and the camaraderie that these sports have brought into your lives. I feel like running a marathon now myself. Don't laugh, I have run a marathon. So, with that in mind, what can organizations like Fugro do to support employees who have these passions and support their staff in achieving their sporting potential when organizations recognize successes and talents of their employees it's quite valuable i'm honored and grateful fugro publicized my victories company wide and uh, sharing my experience here today is quite rewarding public recognition validates uh, our efforts uh, it communicates that company values your achievements and talents whatever they may be and i love that about fugro following up on on rada's i think in my case it was more of the flexibility for the training uh sometimes you know i would have to go swim at noon during my lunch hour but obviously you have to drive to and from the gym so Um uh, my supervisors have always been great about about that when I started training hardcore and so I think the flexibility that I've gotten at Fugro has definitely helped the fact that I can train that many hours in a in a week without neglecting my day job which pays for the hobby and um if if there's anything else that I would think and this is here in in Houston what more could we do Uh I know we have a lot of programs that you can go to gyms and you know if we could have a workout facility I think that would encourage a lot of people. I know other offices have it. So that to me would be be great because a lot of people would take their either arrive early and hit the gym, hit the weights or whatever it may be or go during a uh, lunch hour. Now, each Planet Beyond episode ends with a standard question and I'd like to put it to each of you maybe maybe, maybe rather you could go first so if there were no practical limits what would be the one thing that you would do to contribute to a safe and livable world 
If I had magic powers, I would change the us versus them mentality. Of course, this is a very human trait. It's a self-preservation kind of thing. But when we use it in excess, it, it leads to tribalism, it leads to silos, blaming others for our, for our problems and, and things like that. Just, you know, watch TV for 15 minutes and, and you know what I'm, t- I'm talking about. And uh, we live in a very global economy and society these days. And it's really not us versus them. It's us and us and being able to work together and solve problems together thinking that good ideas can come come from the outside, um, accepting and capitalizing on diversity is what I would change. What a powerful thought. Thank you, Rada. Belen, what would you do? I think we need to care about, we need to care about others and we need to care about the world as if it was ours. We're always trying to blame whether it's our job, our parents, the politics, the president, it's always a president's fault. And we don't, we don't take care of our own world as if it's ours. And coming back from vacation, we want a clean park, but I couldn't tell you how many people I see throwing trash out in the park. Well, just put it in the trash bin and it'll be okay. So I think if we would care about the world as if it was our home, then that would that would make a difference. Wouldn't it just? This fits in really nicely to the idea that you both raised before about starting small and showing up. Because we are responsible for our own little bubble. Small changes, whether that is walking once a day or, or picking up some litter, can make our world a better place but it all starts with us. Thank you both for joining Planet Beyond. Until next time, be safe, be remarkable, be the difference.